Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right, I am actually sitting here in Florida on Zoom with Kim Gibson, who's in Michigan. So, hey, we could never figure it out so that we could actually meet in person, could we? Oh, well. (laughs) This is great, though. (laughs) Yes. I did not want to put this interview off, Kim, because your story, you have so many incredible things to share, and I just know people's lives are going to be changed because of it. And Uh just hearing some of the things about you, Kim, uh, really got me excited. I met you actually, you're walking out to your car after being a guest speaker at Elementary <laughs> School, School Michigan. I'm like, hey, hold up. <laughs> it was I a quick meeting. Yes. And then we I knew immediately I needed to have you on one of our salon mastermind calls to do a leadership message of which it was just really inspiring. And I knew after listening to you on our online salon mastermind, I said, I've got a interview you for your for my podcast and so I'm really excited about this because my podcast is called the B series meaning um, I feel that most people including myself have become human doings and forgot that we're human beings (laughs) and and your story is very very similar and I thought wow I really need to have you speak so thank you for being on today you're welcome I'm thrilled to be here Uh, So Kim uh, Gibson, she's been in the salon industry her whole life. Well, we won't say how old you are, right? (laughs) All we'll say is that you've been married for 37 years and you have two children and six grandchildren. I'm jealous of you right now. (laughs) We actually have number seven on the way. We just found out. That's a good number. Exactly. I just told my kids, my daughter has a, a grand, my next grandchild on the way. I had one a year ago. So number two's coming. And I've been telling my kids that I want eight grandkids. So I don't know how you're going to divide that between the two of you. But of course, I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you're not far off. So hey, yeah. I'll have to make sure I send this podcast interview to them to get them inspired. But <laughs> And in your whole life, you grew up as a salon owner's daughter, and you went to cosmetology school when you were 16. You became a six-figure stylist. I can't wait to unpack that and the fact that you supported your family and put your husband through college. How cool is that? Because, Kim, I can't even begin to tell you, owning cosmetology schools, how many students' families think that they can't make any money at this. And here you are in the industry for all of these years. And you were a six figure stylist, putting your husband through college and supporting your family. That's absolutely huge. And you don't hear that very often. And uh, you, um, I love this, the fact that in your early marriage years, and I want to unpack this as well too, you were serving and developing a ministry in inner city Detroit because I'd like to figure out exactly what year that was. And I love to see that Detroit has made a massive turnaround now in 2020, which I'm really excited about. I actually love going to Detroit and hanging out there. And you left the salon business uh, for 10 years to serve as a church um, director of ministry. So that's really awesome. I want to 
uh, hear more about that. And then seven years ago, you bought and named the salon after your mom's salon, which was Charm, but you renamed it Charm and Company Salons in Oxford, Michigan. And then uh, 2016, you launched a nonprofit called Embrace to mentor young people. I want to hear all about that. <laughs> and then we have a lot to unpack today for sure. We and do. 2017, became a salon consultant, and now you spend 80% of your time consulting salons all over the world. So Kim, let's start with you uh, were, have been in the salon industry your whole life. Right? <laughs> it became, you were a salon owner's daughter. Talk about that, what that was like for you, and talk about your journey. Yeah, you know, that was actually a lot of fun. To be able to remember back kind of into that 60s influence of when the clients were coming in and everybody was getting roller sets and lining up for dryers because, you know, we would run out of dryers and we had a lot of dryers at the holidays. <laughs> um, yeah, it was hysterical. And then, you know, the comb outs and these big, gorgeous, you know, beehives and weekly styles. I mean, these people came in every single week. There was nothing like community back um, in the salon back in that day because it was their they're special time. I would love to go back to those days in the salon. That would be so awesome. <laughs> yeah. And just for a day, just to go back in the past, I, some people always ask and say, if you could live one day in the past, what would it be? Right. And so yeah. for you, it'd be that. <laughs> Let me go back again. <laughs> well, look at perms are coming back. We could go back to <laughs> weekly styles. <laughs> yes. yes. I was just listening to Vivian McKinder about that today who's just an industry great and just talking about perms and how people really need to embrace that with the perms. And I love the fact that you had did roller sets and dryers. When I first uh, bought our first cosmetology school, that's all we did is 20 years ago, 21 plus years ago. And that's all we did. And we had people lined up out the door. <laughs> and we had so many dryers. In fact, I think we only have two dryers now, you know, that kind yeah. of from one station to the next. We don't use them like we did for yeah. sure back in that day. And Definitely. so you went to cosmetology school when you were 16. So talk about the journey uh, between growing up in the industry and then starting. Why did you go to cosmetology school? Well, my parents needed another hairdresser. So <laughs> at 16, they literally sent me to cosmetology school. And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. And it was really fun for me. Um, and, and having my mom mentor me was the coolest part of it because she would say to me, Kim, just go in there, keep your mouth shut and get, get through it because she had taught me so much from my early age that there were things that were happening that were like, hold on, what are you saying? Like I hold my scissors completely wrong. I hold my fingers, my shears with my index finger and my thumb. And I've never seen anybody do that. And they were told, telling me they weren't going to graduate me. And wow. my mom, I said to my, told my mom and I, she says, well, that's how I hold mine. <laughs> Oh, funny. Wow. Yeah. Which is cool because, you know, if you do it like that, you can hold a rat tail comb in your hand and you never have to switch your comb out of your hand to cut. And I've never seen anybody else do it. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if there's other people out oh, that's there. Oh, really cool. I love yeah. that. There you go. You got the Kim Gibson way of haircutting. There you go. <laughs> and it works for you. It, it, hey, it works. I mean, as long as you get the end result, really. Yes. But are you, you know, cutting hair? You know what? I don't do much hair, but I, I still hop behind the chair actually a couple days, a couple for a couple clients a week. Oh, nice. Um, 
Yeah, it's almost like I just don't want to completely let go of it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I came back to it later in my career. And I'm really glad I did because it gave me a compassion for those just starting out. Because I went from a six-figure stylist to 10 years off to coming back to doing hair again. I just want to do hair. I didn't want to buy a salon. I just missed the relationship between the customer. And I felt like I had six six fingers. And all of the verbiage that we have to use while we're doing hair is so huge. And I was making all of the novice mistakes. And I think it made me a better trainer and salon owner because I went back to it and just could have compassion in the process of the young ones learning. Yeah. It's scary. (laughs) I agree. And I feel like me, I fired myself in 2006. I feel like it really gives me compassion too to really help me to understand what our future professionals, we call them, what they're going through, and then our stylists as well, too. In fact, I was joking the other day to my staff, but not really, because I was assisting my daughter for about five minutes in the salon with my daughter-in-law, and I burned my hand with the bleach. Then I burned my hand with the curling iron on top of the burn part (laughs) of the bleach, and then I got a piece of extension tape stuck right in there, and I'm like, you could not pay me enough to do hair. I don't think hairstylists realize how important their job is and how hard it is. And they really don't charge enough in my opinion. And because I think they take it for granted how talented that they really are. And, and so, but you were a six figure stylist and what year was that? Talk through that process. How did you do that? How did you become a stylist and how did you support your family? You know, it's such a process and a journey to get there. I remember after I had my second child, we went and had our taxes done. And the guy doing our taxes says, why are you even working? Because I was not making much money. And, you know, I wanted to hang on to that initial clientele I had because that's the jump start. And I think we get discouraged too easily in this industry. You know, once you get that, that, main group of people that you've created, that consistency is huge to keep them going. And they were my jumpstart for the future. Um, One of the things that I always did was I honored my gift and my time, mainly because I had such a passion to be a good mother. And I had such a passion for ministry to pour into young people. So those were my priorities. And doing hair, as much as I loved it and the greatest career there is in the world, I knew it was my source to provide for my family and my life. And so I just, every time I maxed out my clientele, I maxed out my time, I raised my prices. And I just kept raising and raising and raising and just let my clients know that, you know, they'd gone up again and I appreciated them. And I really had so few complaints. My clients were so very happy And it was almost as if they were happy to see me do well in the industry and do well in my life. And I think that goes along with what we do with our clients because we can take things so personal as a stylist when people come in and have an attitude. And I don't don't get thrown easily by other people's attitudes. I get more... Like, I want to find out what happened. What's going on that this attitude is here? Because there's always something underneath it. And so I loved hearing my clients' stories and listening to them. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts we can give from behind the chair 
because people are not taking time with people these days and listening to them, hearing their stories, having compassion and just encouraging. And that was my relationship with my clients. It was just, it was delightful. I knew their whole entire lives, their kids. I, I did hair through generations. And a lot of the people that I did, actually, my initial clientele were my moms. So they remembered me growing up. Yes. <laughs> so there was, yeah, there was a beautiful connection. I'd still write to about 30 of them every Christmas. I write a letter, and not individually. But I write a letter every year just letting them know how they shaped and formed my life and, you know, just getting an update, giving them an update and getting updates from them. And those relationships will go on for life. Wow. Okay. So we got to unpack some of this because this is really, really amazing. I, this podcast is going to be called Be Compassionate. And Aww. you are such a compassionate person. And this is why you're so successful. And this is beautiful because I want to figure out where that came from, okay? And because obviously somebody was compassionate with you, that's how you became compassionate. So let's unpack, let's get the untold story here because this is untold stories of leadership. We'll dig a little deep here in a moment. And you said, honor your gift and your time. And I'll add to that, charge what you're worth. So where the heck did that come from? Because women did not grow up saying that they should charge what they're worth, right? They, I th feel like they do now. And my children, like we train our children, but where did that come from with you? Because most hairstylists still to this day do not charge what they're worth or don't believe for that. Wow, that's a tough question to know where that came from. Um, I think part of it did come from what I said. It was because I knew I only had so much time to put into supporting my family. And my passion was for my kids. And that came from the fact that I grew up in an abusive home. And, you know, I was sexually, emotionally, physically abused. And so the behind the scenes things that were happening when I was growing up were so aggressive. And thank God, you know, I give all glory to God because that's where my heart truly comes from is knowing the love of Jesus. And you know, I never pushed that on anybody. It's just my story. So I can't not tell it. But, um, you know, having experienced his love over and over again, in the process of what I grew up with is really what sustained me. And that's what gave me such a compassionate heart, because people didn't understand me as a teenager, I had a very, um, I don't know, I think I, I don't think I was a bad teenager that people that met me, but I was a bad teenager. <laughs> I got into a lot of mischief because I had, you know, I had a car at 14. I shouldn't have had the keys to the car. My parents were never home. I did things I never should have done um, at a very young age. And I had a little bit of an attitude, but it was all because I didn't know what to do with what had happened to me as a child. I really didn't know where to place it and what to do. So as I got older and I started working with um, young people and I had a passion for the young people because when I see somebody, kind of like with the clients, when they came in with an attitude, they didn't phase me. Young people's attitudes have never phased me because I always wanted to know what was happening behind that, what happened in their lives. I knew there was a story behind it because nobody really just wants to have an attitude. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody really just wants to be a miserable person. So where did that misery come from? And finding out those stories and, you know, that's 
just the compassion for them and helping them walk through that was a lot of it. But the other part of honoring my worth and charging my worth, I really have to give credit to some of our greats in the industry. Um, I always did education. And I didn't do education on how to be a great hairdresser technique-wise. I did the business side of it. So I went to all of the classes that Michael Cole did early on in his career when he was the young, crazy guy. And I also um, did a lot with Arnie Miller um, Mm -hmm. of Matrix. He was just a great, he developed salon psychology and um, Matrix University and did a lot of those classes as well. And just, they talked about how to continually you know, raise your prices and do what you needed to do on all those key indicators. And I was ignited by that. Oh, yes, 100%. Uh, Wow. Okay. We're going to unpack that part, the business side, because I I feel like most hairdressers don't do that. Mm -hmm. And so we'll talk through that process. Um, But let's, let's unpack this. So how were you able, Kim, to overcome? And obviously, you never really overcome it but how were you able to transform yourself uh, through that adversity of being sexually and emotionally abused by your father? Yeah, it was huge. You know, it, it really did affect my life. And I have to be honest with that because there's too many people in this world that have gone through that. The statistics are scary. And, you know, people don't even realize often when they've been sexually abused because sexual abuse starts even just from seeing things you're not ready to see at a young age all the way through really what I went through because my, my experience was pretty extreme. And all of it affects us. And so, you know, it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I actually started having, and I didn't even know what it was, post-traumatic stress mm. disorder. I started having flashbacks. And thank God I was blessed by the most amazing man in the world. He still is. He was so understanding and it never hurt his ego that I was having, you know, flashbacks and didn't know what to do with that. But he would just hold me and was just so loving. And so I started going to therapy and I was blessed to find some really great therapists. I have gone through therapy every decade of my life. And not like I go all the time and it's over the top. I've just allowed the onion to be peeled one layer at a time all the way um, till this in my 50s, working with our life coach from Empowering You, Kathy Fleming, who is an amazing woman. She's in her her 70s Mm. and she is so insightful. And I really just wanted to spend time with her to say, Kathy, what's left? What layer of the onions is still affecting me? in my life as a leader, because I found such healing through pouring into others, telling my story, listening to other people's stories, you know, just being bathed in the love of Jesus and all this therapy. But there's always another layer. We're so affected by what we went through in our lives and allowing that to get reopened and reopened until it just keeps getting healed and healed and healed. Mm, wow. Okay. And, and so talk to that person right now that hasn't dealt with past trauma, because that's what it is. It's just, I mean, that's big trauma. I, I work with a psychotherapist on our online masterminds and she 
Uh, actually, that's what her specialty is, is helping mm -hmm. people through past trauma, big T and little t. Yours is yeah. a big T, obviously. And so talk through that process, someone that hasn't dealt correctly with past trauma. And I love the fact that you said to your therapist, what layer of the onion is left? And, and you're, you're asking people to point out your blind spots because we all have them. We all yeah. have blind spots. And most of us don't do the work. They don't do the deep work to be able to unpeel those layers. Where's, where's this attitude that I have <laughs> coming from, right? Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening. So talk through that process. How were you able to do that? And why should someone do that? Someone that's listening right now thinking, wow, yeah, I do have some past trauma I haven't dealt with. Yeah. I think for me, it really was having the best life I could possibly have. And I, sometimes I don't think we want to do it for ourselves. We're scared to open that up and take a look at it. I think especially sexual abuse and, and maybe a lot of abuse, we feel like it was our fault. Um, there's so much that goes into the mental side of that because there's just a lot that gets brought up in that process. And I should have spoke up. We feel guilty. You know, we feel condemned. We feel like I did something wrong. And it's really not, you know, if it's something that happened as a child, our parents, our people that are supposed to care for us, that, that those things are not supposed to happen. That's 100% on them. So I think sometimes being able to separate what's mine and what's theirs and mm -hmm. be able to know that we're okay. And it wasn't our fault. If we can take the guilt and the judgment out of it, I think that's the biggest thing I find working with people is we are just so hard on ourselves. We can be compassionate with ourselves. You know, then we can allow, okay, it's not my fault. It's not about me being bad or wrong. What do I need to, how do I get over this or what happened to me as a victim? Um, I think the other part of the healing and the desire to move forward was the people around us. If we can't do it for ourselves, do it for our children, do it for the people around us. Mm. I knew I didn't want to repeat what I had gone through in my life. I never saw myself being a sexual abuser, but there's effects of what we went through of growing up in a violent home that we can mimic and display because it's what we saw is the way we do it. We don't know anything different besides what was shown to us. And I knew I had to look for other examples and, you know, do, do things differently. And with my kids, that was my number one goal in life was that they would grow up and not go through what I did. Mm -hmm. And that was my driving force is that that would not get passed on. And so I remember when they both graduated from high school and they were in college, I remember thinking, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I've achieved what I wanted to achieve, which sounds crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but I really did. I really didn't see anything past that. So everything at this point is just gravy and cherries on top. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, wow. just. That's incredible. And I love that you said that because I feel like that is exactly the shame that goes along with it is that we feel like it's our fault. And mm -hmm. so I love that you said that because I spoke to a woman many years ago who started a nonprofit called Speak Up, where she's going into actual elementary schools and she's finding ways to, fun ways to talk to kids, to get them to speak up, right? Yeah. 
And so, and it's just incredible what she's doing because you're right, not enough people are speaking up, which I, I think it probably ties into your nonprofits and your ministry that you do. But I love the fact that there's only way you can be compassionate with people is you have to be compassionate with yourself first. And that's what you did. You did the work. You did the hard work. And that's the hardest work. The highest form of leadership is leading ourselves. And so many of us jump the gun and try to lead other people, but we forget about ourselves. And that's why you make such an incredible consultant, Kim, because you're doing the work. You're getting the therapy too, because you can't help other people if you don't help yourself first. So powerful, powerful stuff, which you don't see very often in people. So I applaud you on that. And, and I want to back up a little bit because you hit on something really hard that I really feel in order to be compassionate, one of the steps is to not take it personal. And, you know, yeah, the, I love the book, uh, The Four Agreements, because mm -hmm. it talks about uh, number one step is don't take it personal. Although the book is a little bit like arbitrary and a little bit out there, I think yeah. the concept is incredible. And um, maybe you can rewrite all those four agreements, Kim, of how <laughs> it fits in your life. Because I love the fact that you said you don't take it personal and that's so hard because you said we can take things so personal when people come in with an attitude. And, and I think that's probably why most hairstylists give up because mm -hmm. they're so mad at their client's attitude. Mm -hmm. right? I see postings on social media, um, you know, kind of like an attack against their clients. <laughs> you yeah. know? And yeah. it's kind of scary. And, and you said that um, young people's attitudes never phase you. No one wants to be a miserable person. And I, I would say anybody's attitude, whether they're young or old, right? Yeah. Um, where did that misery come from? And where did that come from? What's that untold story with you that you were able to do that? Help someone get your story into their heart so they don't take things personal. Wow. I, I think it just came from knowing that, I don't think I was understood when I was young by some of the misery that I went through, um, knowing that I had such a story. I mean, people looked at my life and thought I had a pretty good. We lived in a very nice home. We had the in-ground pool in the backyard, and my dad worked for Chrysler. He had three company cars. I mean, he, you know, my parents, from all purposes, looked like we had the perfect family. Mm. And, you know, so people just didn't understand why I would have this any attitude at all, or, you know, I don't know. It's really hard to explain. It's so obscure those years for me. And it's been a couple of years, <laughs> but that's really where it came from. It came from knowing that there was a story, even though things looked perfect. Yeah. You know, there was a story that nobody was able to delve into and experience or not experience or even help me with. Cause there were people I told when I was young and they didn't know what to do with it absolutely didn't know what to do with it. And it almost made it even worse um, at that point because they didn't know what to do with it. So they didn't do anything with it. So once you've opened up your mouth, and I think that's the, that's a big point right there. Once you open up your mouth and you tell somebody there's a responsibility, I think we all have to take that there's compassion and that there's um, a next step that we, you know, walk through with people. Because the minute people that have gone through abuse open up their mouth, they immediately feel guilty. Mm -hmm. 
and which is so unfortunate. And that's something that I've really kind of, I've really watched in my years in ministry is when somebody does open up to me to then let them know it's okay. You know, I'm not judging you. Nobody's judging you, you know, just immediately coming in with that compassion because knowing where the strength that it took for them to open their mouth and where, you know, it's going to go from there for them is just really important to know. That's probably for all ages. Yeah. I mean, there's probably people that are, I know there are, there's people that are elderly that have never told their stories and they're still carrying it. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I've been telling this story about my mom. Uh, she's 84 and she actually hired my friend who's the psychotherapist I was telling you about. And it's incredible because she's been able to peel back some layers that happened to her when she was a young girl that she never talked about, you know? So yeah. that's why I think when I was saying speak up, right? Speak up, mm -hmm. be unsilenced, you know, tell your story. And I told my story uh, of, in fact, I want to unpack your nonprofit that you do about suicide because I told, finally told my story years later on stage about writing a suicide note to my family. I never told my family oh. and I had wrote the suicide note and thank God he protected me those years from not actually committing it. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, um, but I talked about it, but my story was able to help change other people's lives. And it actually took, I took it into business. And, and so what I love about your story and you speaking up, I know it's helped you to be a compassionate consultant and helped you to be, be a compassionate leader and owner and businesswoman because it's so important to be compassionate with your people to be able to unpack you know why is this person so miserable <laughs> you know whether yeah. it's your staff or for me our students that we have in our school and i'm always trying to work with my teams of how to coach the future professionals that are miserable that do have attitude if you will right mm -hmm. Long, negative attitude so Talk through that process. Give some advice of how to be a compassionate coach. So as a business owner, as maybe a learning leader, an educator in a school. Wow, that's a really big one. Um, our life coach, Kathy, is she's just amazing. And I've learned so much from her. So I really got to give any coaching credit to her. And really, coaching, coaching and consulting are two different things. Consulting is really the systems and the guidance with you know, processes that can work in, in businesses. And that, I don't like to make cookie cutter. This is the way it has to work for everybody mm -hmm. with um, systems and consulting. But there are tried and true proven ways to do things. Coaching is really about asking the questions. And it's really about finding out, you know, where did that come from? It's about having compassion enough to ask the questions that get people to think, that get, get them to talk, about what's getting triggered in them. You know, where, where has that happened before in your life that you're feeling this way? And it's really, it's just really about those triggers. We're all getting triggered for different things. And those triggers are usually the onion pieces that we have not pulled off and looked at before. And if we can allow ourselves to not be defensive and point fingers back at other people, you know, because typically what we do, and I have to watch this in myself all the time, is when somebody calls us on something, we want to say, we want to make excuses and point fingers back. Right mm -hmm. away, it's, well, I didn't know, why didn't you do this? Instead of just giving the answer and being okay with, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know, you know, 
and then just, you know, looking for what happened there. And, you know, so I guess first coaching only happens to somebody who wants to be coached and is willing because somebody that doesn't want to be coached and isn't willing, they're not coachable. <laughs> right. They're not there yet. They're not ready. So coaching really only happens with permission. First of all, you know, are you open to being coached? Would you like to look into this? Um, and sometimes for salon owners and even parents, we have to find other people to help us with that coaching because we become that voice, like the peanuts parents, the walk, walk, walk voice. So I was very fortunate with my kids because of ministry that I had so many adults that poured into my kids. And then I was, I'm a very fortunate, even with my staff to have the empowering you team that I can have come in or, you know, use materials from to be the other voice that, you know, can work with my teams, my leaders. Mm. And that's very, very helpful because sometimes we're just not the right coach for everybody. And so I think that's a really big first step. Yeah. I love the fact that you have really great tools. That's what I've been uh, building a toolbox, a coaching toolbox to be able to have my teams use, um, myself use. And then of course we use it in our next level salon uh, owner coaching is what we're doing. So, okay. So here's what I unpacked so far in order to be compassionate. uh, One, you've got to peel the onion in your own life, get a coach or a counselor uh, number two, or both, right? Yeah. Uh, don't take it personal. Everyone has a story. Um, and then three is be a great coach, help people to identify triggers. And it only, only happens by permission. But kind of going back to the don't take it personal, because I, I want to stay on that for a minute, because I feel like someone's listening and saying, well, yeah, it's easier said than done <laughs> to not take it personal. So, so I don't care what industry you're in, you're going to have people that are miserable have attitude, talk through that process. How do you uh, be compassionate and unpack that with somebody? Like, like take us through a scenario of maybe somebody that you had to do it with. Give an example. Um, well, I'll give two examples. I'll give one where some people are just not coachable. They're just mean and miserable. They yeah. don't want to be coached and they want to cause problems. And that's not who I want in my company. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty clear with that because I feel like I'm too old. That's what I tell myself. I am too old to go in and deal with a bunch of crazies. Yeah. I want to be able to go into my salon and really enjoy the people mm-hmm. and have it be positive. Not that it's always positive and not that anything's ever going to be perfect. There's nothing perfect in this world. But I did have one of my young staff recently, um, you know, when I do my quarterly evaluations, I have them fill out a sheet. And on the sheet says, one thing we can improve upon. And she wrote about a page and a half of what we could improve. Mm. And I think we have, I think we feel like we have to answer every single question and that we have to, you know, like answer it all. And really, which is what I did was I listened to her. I listened to what she was saying. And then I did ask questions. I said, where, where has this happened for you before? And we had those questions about trying to separate separate out what's hers and what was mine, what we could work on, what we could not work on, so that we could really get to the other end of where she was feeling the things she was feeling. Mm. And, you know, she's, it was a pretty powerful conversation 
And I'm looking forward to, this is just our last quarterly. I'm looking forward to our next quarterly just mm -hmm. to see what comes up in this next one because there's just things that we have to clear up. You know, when we work in community and a salon is a community, every community we're involved in is, you know, it's gonna get messy. So are we willing to listen, not get defensive, have the conversations, let people say the things that they want to say. I don't like to have them like at a staff meeting where everything's blurted out in a, you know, a big mess, which doesn't happen in my salon because we, I've worked hard at addressing things in the smaller, you know, one-on-ones. Let's get through it. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing I could say is it's just discerning. Is this person just an idiot? <laughs> needs to move forward because they're not willing to, I hate to call somebody an idiot. That's not really compassionate, but you know, we've all dealt with it. <laughs> yeah. We've all dealt with it. Well, and well, it's, it's someone that hasn't done the work, right? The mm -hmm. past, maybe some trauma and it's coming in the forefront and that's what's causing them to be miserable is, is what I'm really hearing. And we're not counselors as business owners. We have to take a step back and say, okay, I've got to be able to, you know, get rid of this situation because it's not serving the other people. So you're going to be compassionate with the rest of the team by eliminating that person that hasn't done the work. But sometimes, you know, we don't realize that until years later with team members that they haven't done the work and it starts to come out, right? You hope you figure that out in the first 90 days, you know, in your yes. trial period, that this is going to happen so that you can eliminate that. But but I, I love this because you said, um, so I put this as number four, uh, don't get defensive. So how do you not get defensive? So walk through that process. Wow. You know, I did some work on codependency years ago. Mm. And I think we get, I think there's a codependency piece that comes into getting defensive. And that's a, I would really like to spend some time just thinking that one through because that is so big, Tina. It's really yeah. big to not get defensive and where that comes from. I think that's something for all of us to really dwell on. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. How do you be clear about what's yours and what's mine? Um, yeah, that's good. What is, explain what codependency is because I actually... Uh, it was years ago, I was studying that. And I was actually a pastor who was a counselor in a, a church that I went to many years ago. And I wrote out his notes word for word. And I had recorded his sermon. It was that good. And yeah. I wrote that word for word and studied it. And I thought, wow, he needs to write a book on this because it was the best I had ever heard it. And I actually taught it back uh, to some of my team members that year. And, uh, and realize, wow, we all have this, like a little bit of codependency going on, but in your, yeah. mind, what is codependency? I think, you know, the only person I can really control is myself. I can't control everybody around me, but when I think that I can, that's when I'm getting, there's a codependency piece that goes into that. I can inspire other people. I can encourage them. I can, you know, be who I am. And the only way anybody really changes is we already talked about their willingness, but I think the other part is being around people that, you know, kind of amplify the difference of inspiration and encouragement. And, you know, I hope to be that to the people around me. I hope to be that light and 
you know, hope that they see those things. So it's our example, it's our walk that makes the biggest difference, but we can't be responsible for their mouth, their behavior, how they take things. So sometimes when things are coming out of people's mouths, they're much bigger than, we make it bigger in our minds than what it actually is. Mm. You know, I, re- I know when we would do small groups with teenagers and new teenagers would come in and right away, they don't know if they can trust us. So the first thing they do in a small group, we saw this, I saw this over and over again. They throw out the most outlandish, outlandish stuff. And a lot of it's not even true. They're just trying to test us to see, can they trust us? And, you know, what are we going to do with their information? So not reacting and kind of listening for what's behind what they're saying. Um, Kathy Fleming, my, our life coach, she says, behind every complaint is a request. Mm. So what is behind the complaint? What is the request that's actually being made? So when you can listen from not of a place of defensiveness, defensiveness, you can listen from a place of what's being said here because you're not getting triggered yourself. Wow. I love what a great quote behind every complaint is a request. So just, it's almost like being on a search mission. And, And that's what I try to Think of it as when I'm, when I'm sitting there talking to somebody and really, really listening, I'm almost on this, like finding a treasure hunter, you know, finding the treasure and like, how can I help them? Like what's really the request? And it really helps me to not take it personal, helps me to not get defensive. And I have to really check myself before I wreck myself (laughs) all the time. And so, and every day I'm just like asking God to search my heart of, where, where did I get triggered myself and trigger and anger? Cause anger is not good. <laughs> you know, why, why was I angry and yeah. why I react that way, whether it's with my husband, with my kids, with my staff, with anybody. And so just always examining my heart, just sitting back, you know, meditating, just really, really thinking through that process and just asking God to help me through that. And so I think that's really, really big what you said. I want to jump over to your nonprofits that you did um, and why. Um, tell about your ministry in inner city Detroit and then your new nonprofit that you have. Well, the um, I'll start with the inner city of Detroit. You know, we had a, um, the church that I grew up in in Detroit. Actually, my parents were married there. My grandparents were married there. My parents ended up going back there in the 80s before they divorced. And so my husband and I with the kids went and visited And the pastor was just so dynamic, such an amazing man. And he's actually where I learned about codependency, like you said too, Tina, Mm -hmm. um, was through uh, a lot of the work that he did. And I remember my son, he was not even two years old and he pointed at him and he said, he's silly. And it just describes him so well. He had this long beard, Mm -hmm. you know, in his twenties, up maybe close to 30 at that time. And just an amazing dynamic man. His wife became my best friend um, soon after. And he mentored me for about 20 years. Mm. And we got, yeah, we got highly involved there. And, you know, just working with the young people there was one of the big experiences and maybe how I learned not to become defensive as well, because Luther, his name was Luther Wright. He would say to me, Kim, you're a white woman from the suburbs dealing with black kids in the ghetto 
Mm-hmm. You bring in Jesus. You don't judge. You mm-hmm. don't, you haven't walked the walk that they have walked. You've not experienced the things that they've been through. Your job is to bring in Jesus. Mm. And you know, what great training that was for me, probably for what I do now is, you know, bringing in the compassion as you're saying. So those years were just amazing years. And, you know, I had, I really did go through the testing with a lot of them. He had me teaching confirmation to seventh and eighth grade, Mm. you know, kids early on. And, oh my goodness, they put me through it. And I just, every week went back with a smile on my face and, you know, ended up just rewarding them with, you know, we'll go to Cedar Point when you get through and doing fun things with them that a lot of them that was, you know, they'd never been over the Michigan border even. Mm. So a lot of, you know, things that we did, they had never experienced in their life. And I was so blessed in my later years serving there because I could drive down any street in that neighborhood and kids would be running after me saying, Miss Kim, Miss Kim, are you going to be there Friday? And they just loved me and cared for me back in return in ways that, you know, I could even describe and apologies that I got. I remember I ran into one young man, his name was Charles, and he said, Miss Kim, I am so sorry for what we put you through. <laughs> That's amazing. But the cool thing is, is you would have never been able to be compassionate like that if you hadn't gone through what you went through. In yeah, your- yeah. You know? And, yeah. and I love the fact that you said, so I made that number six, actually, um, don't be judgmental, uh, just bring Jesus. And, yeah. and so, you know what, I think that's probably one of my biggest sins is judging other people. And I think just being in this business, of course, you know, we were talking uh, in our Be Nice or Else, we call it Be Nice or Else team meeting at the national call of all of our Paul Mitchell schools. And one of the things we're talking about is not being a policing agent of people, <laughs> right? And nitpicking everything that people do, right? Yes. And so yes. talk to that person that's constantly nitpicking every move people make because earlier, a kind of one you said about not getting defensive, um, I heard uh, you say it's all about perspective. My husband mm-hmm. and I talk about that, uh, that the three P's for great marriage is patience, prayer, and perspective. <laughs> and I think, you know, even when you think about a job or where you're at, like, it's a perspective. Like, why are you making it bigger than it really is? Like, what's triggering yeah. you to make this small issue so big and it's turning so big? But I think it just goes back to you've got to do the work in yourself. You can't help somebody until you've helped yourself first, right? And, yeah. and I have the definition of leadership means transformed people, transform people. And that transformation, that comes with a lot of hard work, a lot of adversity, uh, going through adversity and going through that training. You know, I think of a diamond, you know, how is a diamond formed? Yeah. You know, it goes through a lot of hard work. And so um, you said awareness is key. And this is so big because I don't care what business you're in, numbers tell the story. What's the story? What do you need to dig in deeper into your mindset that's causing you to not, let's just say, what causes you to not do your job? So we have very specific job descriptions, okay? Mm-hmm. And so there's something blocking you from doing that job. Maybe you don't believe you can. Maybe you need to borrow somebody's belief. Maybe you need a, a stronger coach 
an accountability person, right? Yeah. But what do you need to do? What's those triggers that's triggering you to not do the work, right? To do mm -hmm. the hard things because that's the, there's power in your numbers, but you've got to be able to peel back those layers to figure out what's causing you to not do those things and really take care of your guests. You know, when I was listening to Vivian McKinder, she was telling this story today uh, with Anthony Whitaker, great, great podcast, by the way. And she was telling the story how she went into, I think it was England, I, I don't quote me, uh, but she goes and she gets her hair done at a really high, high end uh, place. And it was something like $130 for a blowout, right? And she said she didn't even get a consultation. Yeah. And so really looking at this young man who didn't do this consultation on her, you know, what's the reasoning? I'm sure he's been taught so many times how to do this consultation. What's that trigger in him that's causing him to not do a full blown consultation that maybe it's fear of talking to people because he's never really talked to himself in the mirror. You know, yeah. maybe there's things that he needs to do to unpeel the layers in order to really get raw with his people to be compassionate with his people. And I bet your clients love you and, and the people that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis because you are so compassionate and you get real with them. You know, you're authentic, you're vulnerable, you tell your story, you don't hold back. Because I don't, I don't think a great coach is someone that holds back and acts like they have it all together. You're like, no, I kind of suck sometimes, you know, <laughs> what's happened. And, and because you do that, I believe people connect with you more, Kim. And so I think that's a lesson to be learned, to be compassionate. You've got to be transparent yourself. True. You know? vulnerable. You have to tell your story because people are going to connect to that and they're going to see that compassion driven through, but you've got to do the work, you know, yeah. don't air your dirty laundry on social media, <laughs> you know, don't, don't talk about the things that's going on in your life until you've done the work and you're getting healing. Because yeah. I think sometimes people, they speak up in the wrong ways and I'm actually teaching them how to speak up and how to appropriately lead their boss and what that looks like. And 360 Degree Leader by John C. Maxwell is really great for that, by the way. And it actually walks you through how to lead your boss, how to lead your peers, how to be that 360 degree leader, which is really, really powerful. So I have my team actually read that and have them you know, help how to speak up to me. I try to train my staff how to speak up to me and what that might look like. And I try to build that safety. And so that's why I train salon owners because I wanna teach them how to build that safety with their team of how to speak up because there's always something gonna be going wrong in your company, right? But how yeah. to do it in a positive way. Yeah. And the positive way is not on social media. So if you see <laughs> yourself, you know, airing anger on social media, trying to get the attention of your clients or your staff or your boss, that's not the right way. <laughs> no, no. So be careful how you do it. So learn, you do the work and learn how to do that. So what's next for you, Kim, as you go into consulting? I know 80% of your time is now spent on consulting, of course, and I love some of your dreams that you sent me as well. So talk about that. What's next for you and how can people get a hold of you so that they can hire you to be their consultant? Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. I, everything right now about my husband and I's life is really leading us towards retirement. 
he retires from a career of special education um, in four years. And we've kind of done things one at a time in our life. It was like, okay, college and weddings are going to be coming. We better get our budget in order to be able to pay for those things. And we always just spend right where we are. And so a couple of years back, it was like, okay, hold on. We got to retire yes. <laughs> at some point. What do we want that to look like? And we don't ever want to retire because we do not like to sit around and watch TV and twiddle our thumbs. And, you know, we've done everything else. I've, I've made a quilt. I've gardened. I've done all those things. I love doing those things, but it's not necessarily something I want to spend my life doing. Um, I love doing recreational things and traveling. So we really started setting up our life for what kind of work do we want to do in retirement? So I plan on consulting um, as long as it serves me and I serve others. I love the fact that I can do that from anywhere in the world. I love my team of empowering you. They're a great group of people. They challenge me. I challenge them and, um, and they, they support me and I love, you know, we support each other really well. It's a beautiful company. I also love my salon. I didn't buy a salon to develop it, to sell it. I bought it to have a community that I got to walk back into, get to walk back into and just enjoy. And so I love the idea that I can travel and come home and walk into my salon and see people that I've known forever and mm -hmm. see them passing on to others. And I hope to um, see my granddaughters someday doing hair there. They both, I got two of them that are interested in doing hair. Nice. Yeah. So, and we also started a vacation home business. That's kind of been our play these last um, two years. We've been playing with what that looks like. And we absolutely love that. We love that people can come in um, through Airbnb and mm. enjoy our space. And we love the notes and where they come from and how much they appreciate it. And we enjoy having it set up so others are coming in to, you know, enjoy what we've been blessed to have. So we want to just really keep cool. Yeah. So you yeah. basically live in your Airbnb homes, correct? And, but you rent them out. And I, I love that. That's so cool. So many people are doing that today. Talk about that a little bit, because I think it's really inspiring. Yeah. It's a little bit crazy right now because we wanted to play with it. So our home, when we bought our businesses, we sold our house with the pool and up on the hill in the country. And we bought a cottage on two lakes. So we're on a peninsula on two lakes. So basically our only Airbnb right now is the home we live in. And so what we wanted to find out, do we like this? What does this look like? And we didn't know where we were going to go when we started doing this over the summer. And our daughter's like, please come stay with us. Aww. <laughs> we know you'll help us. And so last two summers, we've actually spent with my daughter and we both traveled during the summer. And, you know, they have three kids and a big house and we, it's almost like a party all summer long. <laughs> Yeah. Every night we make dinner together and just enjoy each other. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and so it, we're still playing with where we're going to buy our second place. And we eventually want to have four places mm. and rent each of them out. So it's just something we're playing with. It's, it's not ne necessarily like a stressful thing in any way, shape or form. We just want to have fun. Yeah. So, Yeah. Oh, cool. That's what we do in our Florida home here where I'm at right now. We actually rent that out, but we've had so many people over the years that we just do it on our own and yeah. it worked out really, really well for us. And there has been a few times where we rented it out and we didn't have a place to stay and we had to go stay in a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, how can people get a hold of you to hire you to be their consultant? Yeah, my, um, 
my cell phone number would be the, the first way. And um, I can, you want me to just say my, myself? 248-321-8716 is my cell number. Just, you know, shoot me a text. And then also my email um, is SK, S is in Scott, K is in Kim, Gibson, 800 at gmail.com. And we set up 30-minute strategy sessions just to hear what's going on for people. And, you know, we always bring value. So even if we don't hire, get hired and, you know, put you in a program or whatever, we always bring value when we spend time with people because we just really want to support people. So it's, you know, happy to spend 30 minutes with anybody that's interested. Of course you are because you're compassionate. So. <laughs> I love that. So it's 248-321-8716 or skgibson800 at gmail.com. So yeah. thank you, Kim Gibson. I appreciate you so much for being on this podcast today. You are absolutely brilliant. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.